Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Today, we're going to find out why flu vaccines, especially for older adults, are very important. It's Epilepsy Awareness Month. We'll meet a pro football Hall of Famer who tells us about his journey with epilepsy and introduces us to the Steps Toward Zero initiative. It's also Diabetes Awareness Month. We'll have all the information on that, too. It's time for high school students to sign up for the Innovation Challenge. We have the details. And it's a step back in time when you visit Eckley Miners Village. Project manager Chris Stokum has the details of plans underway to allow even more of an immersive experience. Let's have you give our listeners an invitation if they've never been to Eckley. Sure. So Eckley Miners Village is an authentic 19th century anthracite mining company town, uh, just a few miles east of Hazleton, right in the heart of the coal region. Um, since 1970, the village has been preserved as, a, as an open-air museum by the Pennsylvania Historical Museum Commission. And so if you visit us today, you'll find more than 200 historical structures that we preserve on more than 90 acres, um, which really makes Eckley the most complete example of an anthracite mining company town. It's a great window into the, the lives of anthracite miners and their families and the, the, really the hard work and the sacrifice that they put into fueling America's industrial revolution. So many people in our area have been there for things like Patchtown Days and all of the other wonderful events that have happened at Eckley. So you are now here to tell us about something very exciting that is going to be started in the very near future that's going to expand Eckley and grow. What is that? That's right. So, you know, we're thinking uh, about ways to not only maintain what we've been doing in the past, you know, all these programs that you mentioned, but also to uh, lay a foundation for the village um, going forward. And so that means uh, new opportunities for people to engage with the region's heritage, um, you know, hopefully attracting new visitors, uh, right, bringing people inside additional structures not able to go to in the past. And so, all of this was uh, really triggered by a $78,000 award that Eckley received from the Appalachian Regional Commission, um, and that's going to allow us to plan some improvements to the village and specifically to some of our, several of our unused structures. Um, and so there's you know, two big uh, buckets under that award that were you know, things that we're looking to accomplish. On the one side, we're looking at some of our unoccupied miners' homes, and again, these are historical structures dating from the 1800s. 
Uh, and we're going to be planning to renovate those into overnight lodging facilities, so places where people could actually come, uh, stay for a night or stay for a weekend right here in the village itself. How, ex- uh, the- how exciting is that? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And Go ahead. You know, like, and so the, the other main uh, renovation that we're looking to do, or the, the renovation that we're planning, is to take the home of Asa Foster, which was one of the original mine owners on the property, uh, and to transform that into a research and learning center. And so um, this is really acting, uh, you know, recognizing that there's a lot of interesting scholarship that's happening on the coal region, not just on its history, but also on its environment, on its architecture, on its uh, geography. Right. And so we want to make a place that's right on site for all these different scholars to come together, collaborate with each other on their research, and then also create opportunities for members of the public, you know, whether that's K through 12 students or, um, you know, adult visitors to the property to see some of the cutting edge research that's being conducted on their own region. Now, along those lines, again, that's something that I don't think this area has anything like that happening right now. You know, as far as I'm aware, we don't. A lot of this research is being conducted at uh, neighboring universities. And so, you know, it might be an hour or two hours away if you're going to, you know, Wilkes College or or Kings or Penn State. Um, But there's no place that's really focused on, um, you know, having this be place-based scholarship, right? Bringing people together across disciplinary lines. And also, like I said, getting that knowledge out of the universities, making it accessible to uh, the people that, you know, live their everyday lives and sometimes for multiple generations right here in the region. And what are you hoping? I mean, as someone who is in charge and, and overseeing all of this, what are you hoping that they might find, that they might be able to bring to light? There, It seems like there could be so many things that might come up that no one had, have even thought about. Absolutely. I mean, one of the, the most sort of promising projects that we have underway right now, and this is through a partnership with um, some researchers at Penn State is to uh, do some image capture and create a virtual reality tour uh, that's looking at some of the mining landscapes around us. And so these could be active strip mines, they could be reclaimed mine land sites, um, abandoned mine lands. And these are places that are often, you know, just over the tree line, just off the side of the road, but it can be easy to pass by. Uh, if you don't know what you're looking for, it's easy to miss. Um, and a lot of these are also, you know, if they're industrial sites, they can be restricted access. And so we're looking at this as a way of making, you know, that landscape a part of what we interpret, not just looking at the historical structures, but actually thinking about how the environment has been transformed by the industry. And so that's just one example of, you know, thinking broadly, thinking creatively about you know, what anthracite heritage actually means, uh, you know, not just for its, its several hundred years of history, but now, you know, going forward into the 21st century. It's just amazing. So how is all this going to happen? Because I, you know, for anybody who's been to Eckley, there's a lot of space. But so how is it going to be set up for those of us who have been there and say, well, gee, where are you going to put all this? (laughs) Right. So the, you know, the exteriors of the buildings will remain relatively unchanged. And so a lot of this will be happening, um, you know, just out of view. It's not until you go into the structures that you realize, hey, this is a building I wasn't allowed to go into before, and now the front door is unlocked. Um, and so the, the feel of being in the village will remain pretty constant. And that's really what this first phase of development is seeking to accomplish, is to plan very carefully to make sure that we're not disrupting the uses that the village already has, that we're not making it more difficult for people who have been coming here for years to experience what they like to experience. Um, 
but that we are making ways for them to you know, maybe engage a little bit more deeply, to spend a little bit more time, and then also to attract new audiences who maybe haven't been motivated to come out to Equity before, but think, hey, it might be cool to spend a night in a miner's home, or, or hey, you know, it might be interesting to learn something about these mining landscapes. And again, when you're looking at it from that perspective, like I said, so many people have been there to visit. So then that brings the question, is it going to be as much as it was back then? Or will they be a little bit more, I don't know, uh, up to date, if that's the way to put it? (laughs) Sure. You know, I I think we'll be looking for something right in the middle. And so as much as possible, you know, we want to preserve historical surfaces, you know, materials anywhere that those are inside the structures so that you're you know, it doesn't feel like you're just staying in a hotel room. You know, we want it to feel like a historic uh, village, a historic experience. You know, at the very same time, I don't know if everyone's going to be comfortable, you know, say, staying here in December and using an outhouse. And so, you know, certain amenities like indoor plumbing that may not have existed in the 1850s will probably introduce to the homes. Um, but, you know, again, that's something that we're looking to accomplish with this next phase is to figure out, you know, where that sweet spot is that really balances the, the historical nature of the village with some modern comforts and amenities. And when we are also looking toward this now, again, when do you see maybe all of this coming to fruition? Right. So the uh, Appalachian Regional Commission project is is already underway. We're in the planning phases right now to um, get a request for design services out. And that would allow us to get a firm that we'll work with to create these renderings and, and create these floor plans. Um, and it's it's really over the next year that we'll be moving through that planning process. Um, and I should say that you know we haven't scheduled a date for any public meetings yet, uh, but this will be a collaborative planning process. You know, something that we're we're all very sensitive to. That Eckley has a special place in the hearts of so many people in the region, and so we want people to you know be able to stay abreast of what's happening at the village, to share their thoughts and ideas with us, uh, and you know when they come to see the renovations that have happened, to be able to see the mark that they've made uh, on what, you know what Eckley will look like in the future. Wow, that in itself is going to be quite uh, an undertaking. And what are you hoping for? Because I know you mentioned, you know, the colleges and things like that. So, again, what are you hoping for and who are you hoping for come out? And are, are there people who are still in our area who have perhaps family ties to Eckley? Oh, certainly. I mean, plenty of people in the area have family ties to Eckley. And, and you know, we're hoping to, you know, maybe reengage new generations who you know, maybe now looking back two or three generations to find a grandfather or great-grandfather who was in the industry. Um, you know, perhaps they haven't been out or haven't been out since they were in elementary school. And so we're hoping to get them back out. Uh, but we're also looking to, you know, appeal to people who have maybe moved to the region more recently, don't have family connections to the anthracite industry, uh, but could still, you know, gain a lot from seeing where this region came from, you know, why it is the way that it is today, um, you know, make sense of, of why these towns look like the way they do today, right? All of that can be sort of revealed and made kind of clear through a trip to Eckley. And so, um, you know, we're thinking broadly um, and we're thinking really, really collectively about, you know, who we want to bring out to the village and what they can gain here. That is just uh, absolutely amazing. And how long has has it, has Eckley been open to the public? Uh, so since 1970. So it's uh, relatively it- new, Sure. I mean, it was an active coal mining site up until 1968. Um, that's when Paramount Studios selected it to be the filming location for the Molly Maguires. Uh, and it was after Paramount Studios came through and made some changes to the property to, 
give it a more historical appearance that um, it was you know, really led by a grassroots effort. People in the Hazleton area recognized that they had this great historical asset. Um, they worked together to raise the funds to purchase it from the mining company, and then they donated it to the state of Pennsylvania. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's been for the past, uh, I guess, a little bit more than a half century that it's been operating as a heritage site. Um, so it's been here, you know, since 1854. And I was going to ask you about the Molly Maguire's connection there, because, again, that was uh, that was done for a purpose when things were changed around just a little bit. So mm-hmm. was that enough that it, that that would go back to the way it was or will that kind of stay just as another part of its legacy? Sure. Well, you know, certainly the changes the, the Molly Maguire's move, uh, movie made to the village have allowed us to. Uh, interpret a 19th century lifestyle that otherwise would have been really difficult. You know, they buried all the power lines, all the utilities. They covered up any modern siding on the houses with wood siding. And so, you know, it gave us this um, 1800s appearance that we're really able to make a lot of. Um, At the same time, I mean, you're certainly right that, that, you know, the movie shooting here is another part of of really the layered history that Eccles had. You know, when you come here, you sort of step into the past, but it's also... Um, you know, an opportunity to think about and see how the region's culture has evolved and how it continues to evolve. And so, you know, this project that we're looking at to revitalize some of the structures, think of new uses for them, that's really, you know, part and parcel with the whole history of the village. That's what people have been doing in Patchdowns since they were established, which is to come into a place that was pre-built by the company and then figure out how they can, you know, sort of live and flourish within that spaces. Well, I have to say, just talking to you, I can hear the enthusiasm and excitement in your voice for this all to be able to go forward. So before all this gets going, do you have anything else that uh, our listeners might need to know about Eckley that's coming down the road that they, again, I, I love the idea of getting everyone involved and having meetings. So you'll have to let us know when all those are going to be happening, too. Oh, sure. Yeah. As soon as those meetings are scheduled, you know, we'll be announcing them to the public. Um, we're also, you know, in the process of reintroducing some of our um, regular programming. So this year we'll be having our Christmas program. Uh, I believe that's scheduled for December 3rd and 4th. And so that's that first weekend of December. Um, and then we'll also be looking forward to a Charter Day program. Uh, and that is in March. Um, let's see, that's March 12th. And so that's uh, going to be a Sunday in March. And we'll have some uh, free uh, programming to the public. It looks like an author talk will be taking place that day. Um, you know, more on those events as they come forward. But yeah, I would say, you know, keep an eye out on the news, right? We're always trying to uh, have more and more programming, get more and more people out to the site. And, you know, if I haven't said it before, if you have any questions uh, about this project, about the changes coming exactly, any ideas for things that we could do here, you know, we're always open to new volunteers uh, or just to have, you know, casual conversation. So feel free to stop into the office, give us a call, and I'd be happy to chat. We'll have Chris back to talk about more of the changes coming at Eckley Miners Village. Now, Jessica Ruddy with PennDOT District 4 says it's the Innovation Challenge time. Jessica, let's talk about this PennDOT Innovations Challenge. Now, what exactly does the commercial trucks, I'm not getting it here. What we're seeing is that there's a shortage of commercial truck parking along major interstate corridors in Pennsylvania. And so we're looking for a way to get these trucks off of the interstate, whether, you know, they can go to rest areas and welcome centers, but there is a shortage. So we're looking for high school students from grades 9 through 12 to help us 
come up with a way to, to get these trucks off of the roadway, an alternate place for them to park. Now, that's an interesting concept. So what exactly are you hoping that these young people can do that might be able to help you out? Well, you know, we have areas that are designated within our district, Interstate 81, Interstate 80, 380, where we're seeing this increase of trucks parking on the side of the highway. So students, it's a really good challenge because I think it'll encompass land acquisition, um, dealing with the local boroughs and townships, on um, what their ordinances are for parking, uh, logistics as far as making sure that there are the parking spaces are long enough for the for the tractor trailers. So this is actually a very interesting project for the students. That means that they're going to have to go and actually talk to some of these folks and say, I see this and here's what I'm doing. That's like opening up communication. Exactly. They are going to have to do their due diligence. It's like they would if they were out there in the private sector coming up with a uh, a new innovative way to do this project. All right. So besides talking to people, are you also going to have them draw or show the area somehow? Absolutely. We would encourage them to do a PowerPoint presentation, maybe have some graphics. They will do a presentation for the PennDOT offices and uh, they will be competing against other high schools. There is a cash prize at the end of this and total of $4,000 in prizes to the schools who do win the competition. Now, can there be more than one student or student group from each school? It will encompass an entire group of students. It could be as many as three or four. It can be up to 10. And they'll also have to have an advisor or a teacher involved. All right. Now, if there are people who are listening and they're saying, I'm a teacher, I'm a parent, I'm a student, I think I'd like to find out more about this. How can they go about doing that? I would encourage them to Google PennDOT Innovations Challenge and they'll be able to access all of the information right there on the page. And as far as just getting the word out now about it, is there a deadline that they're going to have to meet? Yes, actually, the project will need to be completed by the end of January, January 27th, to be specific. So they do have some time to work on this project. And when we're talking about it coming down to the wire, who is going to and how are they going to decide who would be giving them the, are there going to be more than one best idea that then they'll actually go to real engineers that they'll take a look at? Absolutely. They will start with a presentation to District 4 for our district in specifically. Um, and then we will choose the winner for our district and then they'll move on to the statewide competition and they will be decided in sometime in the spring. So actually the ones in our area are going to be looking at most of the facilities available here in Northeast Pennsylvania? Correct. And then the other folks are going to be joining in theirs as well. So is there a possibility that if our area happens to come out as the one on top, would that also be able to be transferred to Center County or Lebanon County or someplace else in the Commonwealth? Absolutely. This idea, it's not just a project. If this project gets to the statewide level, and they feel that it's a good idea and that they can implement it statewide, it could absolutely be implemented. Wow, that's something for a high school student. Well, Jessica, one more time, give us all the information so that people can understand exactly what they're looking for and get their teams together and go in EPA. 
Right. Grades, uh, students in grades 9 through 12, you can Google Innovations Challenge PennDOT. You'll be able to find all of the information that you need there. And the deadline to submit is January 27th. Now, we have other things we want to talk about as well. Winter is on its way. That means... PennDOT is getting ready and have been getting ready. Have you reached the number of people that you're looking for to do winter maintenance and winter plowing? We are still hiring. So if you're out there and you have a CDL or you're looking for a position for the winter, um, definitely go on employment.pa.gov and search for PennDOT. We definitely have positions open and we'd love to hear from you. Um, We are preparing for winter. We've been preparing since last winter ended. And um, we're looking at temperatures dropping probably towards the third to fourth week of November. So we do encourage people to prepare for the winter season. And what are things that we can do in order to help PennDOT and the drivers and the other folks who have to deal with the winter stuff, even the Postal Service, in order to help during this upcoming winter season? Right. Well, we always encourage the motorists to check out 511pa.com. Get yourself familiar with it even before the season starts. You can see where the, the, the cameras are. You can see what the roads look like before you head out. You can. There's a lot of things on there, a wealth of information. We definitely encourage people to go on 511pa.com. But also making sure that your vehicle is ready for the winter. Make sure that you put your snow tires on. Make sure that your windshield wipers work and that they don't streak. Making sure that you have an emergency kit in your car in the case of your car becoming disabled during a snow event. And when we're also talking about being in outdoors and we're thinking about having snow, I know one of the things that we always talk about is not throwing it into the street. Absolutely. The best way to... Uh, shovel your sidewalks is to shovel it to the right-hand side because it, when you think about it, the snow trucks are coming down our street and they're pushing the snow into the curb. So what they're going to do is push it over to, towards the right and toward the end of your driveway. So when you're shoveling the snow, if you put it on the left, all you're doing is causing more work for yourself. So make sure to push it over to the, to the right-hand side. And of course, one of the other things too, you mentioned as far as cleaning things up, that also means cleaning off your car and the top of your vehicle. Absolutely. That's a law in Pennsylvania that you need to make sure all of the snow and ice is off of your car before you hit the roadways. And I also found out that PennDOT is urging homeowners to start winterizing their mailboxes. But again, I can understand why, because sometimes they're in the road of the plow and you might not see them. Right. Especially at night, you might not see them. So probably putting a reflector on your mailbox, making sure the area around it is clean and that it's not covered in snow. That would definitely help our drivers. And one of the other things, too, is I know recently you had the folks from PennDOT all getting together and saying that you had another successful construction season. We did. We had about $600 million in projects going on this season. Um, Notably, in Lackawanna County, Twin Bridges is our biggest project by far. $113 million project won't be completed until 2026, but we were able to open part of the Interstate 84 new bridge going eastbound. So we're really excited about that. If you'd like to find out more about the Innovation Challenge or some tips on driving in upcoming winter weather, you can visit the PennDOT District 4 website. Don't go away. November is Epilepsy Awareness Month and Diabetes Awareness Month, and we'll hear about both next on Special Edition. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to Special Edition. November is Epilepsy Awareness Month. We'll be hearing from a pro football Hall of Famer who tells us about his journey with epilepsy. But first, November is also Diabetes Awareness Month, and Don Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, joins us with information on diabetes. Don, it is November, Diabetes Awareness Month, and so many people talk about it. They're affected by it. What can you tell us? Sure. So diabetes, um, it's actually a chronic disease. And, and a lot of people don't understand it. But what it does is that it actually affects the way the body turns food into energy. So it occurs when a person's blood sugar or their glucose is too high, which can in turn lead to several health conditions like kidney disease, eye problems, nerve damage, and even heart disease. And how does that work then? Because you, you mentioned how it's how it comes about, but how would you even know you had it then? Sure. So there's lots of symptoms of diabetes. Now, unfortunately, type 1 diabetes isn't really well understood. They're not quite sure what causes it. They think it's an autoimmune reaction. And unfortunately, type 1 diabetes typically occurs in, in children, teens, or younger adults. And what's scary about that is a lot of times they don't realize that they are having symptoms and their symptoms can be very vague. So it can go undetected until it, it gets very bad. So a couple of the symptoms of type 1 diabetes is it increased thirst. So, you know, they're very thirsty. Um, because of their increased thirst, they have to go to the bathroom a lot. So, uh, as you know, what goes in must come out. So, they're in the bathroom a lot. And then, because it's changing their, their blood sugar levels, they could seem drowsy. They could seem fatigued. They could be more sleepy than normal. But 
I mean, if you think about it, those are also signs and symptoms of, you know, a tired, cranky kid or even a kid that's coming down with a, a virus or an illness. So it can be really tough to identify type 1 diabetes until it gets really bad. And typically, um, you know, that, that are, that's when the kids are going to the emergency room and being diagnosed there. So it can be a scary thing. And there are different types of diabetes, as you mentioned, type 1, there's gestational. And are there others that, that again, might mimic other symptoms? Or again, how would you know which one you have? Sure. So type 1 diabetes is, like I said, they're not quite sure what causes it, but they think it's an autoimmune reaction. So they don't know how to prevent it, but it can be managed and treated. Type 2 diabetes, that's the most common type. And this is... um, when your body doesn't use the insulin well and it can't keep your blood sugar normal. So about 90 to 95% of people with diabetes have type 2. It's definitely the most common and it can be prevented or delayed with healthy lifestyle changes. So losing weight, being active, eating a healthy diet, those are all things that can either prevent or actually change someone from having type 2 diabetes to not having it. And then, like you mentioned, there's the gestational diabetes, and that's the diabetes that occurs when someone who's never had diabetes before develops it during pregnancy. And this is typically the type of diabetes that luckily goes away once the baby's born. And then the only other type really identified is prediabetes. And that refers to people whose blood sugar levels are higher than normal, but not high enough to be considered type 2 diabetes. And those are typically the people that that we watch, we start looking at their diets, their exercise levels, their weight, and and look at, you know, their lifestyle changes to prevent it from becoming type 2 diabetes. Is this something that's hereditary? It can be. So type 2 diabetes can be because it, it often, it does go along the lines of a person's BMI, how much they weigh, their activity level, their diet. And so they're not quite sure if it's so much hereditary as lifestyle because if if kids are living with their parents and and eating what they eat and doing what they do, you know, they're going to be more inclined to develop it also. And we've heard juvenile diabetes. That's type 1 diabetes. So it's just another name for it then. It is. Again, names change, things change. So then if someone does become diagnosed with the, with different types of diabetes, what is the course of treatment? Sure. So it depends what type of diabetes. So type 1 diabetes, so your body isn't producing insulin. So that's when you have to have either an insulin shot or an insulin pump to, de- to de- deliver that insulin, you know, every couple hours before meals or after meals, depending on what type and how, how it's best managed. So that one is managed truly by shots. And there are some oral medications that also help with diabetes, but those are more used for the people with type 2 diabetes that almost just need a little type of a boost. So their body isn't using the insulin well. So it's not that they're not producing it, they're just not utilizing it. I have to ask, because again, when I was growing up and it was called or treated because it it predominantly revolved around sugar and you were always told, don't eat too much sugar or you're going to get diabetes. Yes. So type 2 diabetes is truly based um, or, or predisposed to the people that do have unhealthy diets, unhealthy lifestyles. So 
if someone is on the border, you know, their, their sugar levels just are kind of going up and down, not quite well, well managed. And, and they eat a ton of sugary foods or even high carbohydrate foods, which also have tons of sugars in them. Then yes, that can swing that scale and tip them over from pre-diabetes to diabetes. So anyone who's kind of in that in-between area, the worse their diet is, the more likely they are going to be end up um, diagnosed with diabetes type 2. All right. What else, Dawn? I'm, I'm going to give it to you to uh, wrap up and give us all the other information because, again, it's so important. It is so important, and it impacts so many people. So I would say that the bottom line is, um, you know, like we talked about, type 1 diabetes isn't really well understood, but it, it truly is something that it, no one can prevent. Um, but it is treatable, so that's a good thing. But type 2 diabetes, which is by far the most common type, can be prevented. And if someone has it, they can actually treat it without medication by modifying their their lifestyle and their diet. So as we always talk about, prevention is key. So start with looking at your diet, looking at your lifestyle, becoming active if you're not already active, maintaining a healthy diet, and just trying to keep yourself overall well. And that's really the best way to prevent it. As always, thanks, Dawn. Pro Football Hall of Famer Alan Fanica is here to discuss his journey with epilepsy. He's also going to introduce us to the Steps Toward Zero initiative. First of all, let's hear a little bit about you. You have a very interesting background for a man who's going to be talking about what we're talking about today, Alan. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm a 13-year NFL veteran, uh, 2021 inductee into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and uh, more importantly, a father of three. All of that. And then... What happened? 1991, from what I understand, was kind of a pivotal year for you. It was. Um, so I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Uh, it was Christmas Eve that year that I had my first seizure. Uh, in the middle of the night, I was at my great-grandmother's uh, farm out in the country. Uh, very scary. Didn't really understand what was going on. You know, I'm just, I'm still a kid at heart and I'm just excited about Christmas and all my, you know, parents and aunts and uncles, everybody's, you know, a little nervous and worried about me and I just want to get the presents. Um, but, you know, shortly thereafter, uh, scheduled appointments with the doctors and started doing all the tests to, to find out that, that I had epilepsy and it was something that I was going to have to deal with. A man who, here you are, Pro Football Hall of Fame, all these years of, of playing sports and you never had any kind of an indication before this time? No, no, it's, uh, I had no, no indication. It was uh, my first one and it was... Um, you know, that, that was my path. Everyone's path is a little bit different. My, my daughter has epilepsy as well, uh, and her path is, is very different from mine and completely different. So everybody's path is a little bit different. But again, there's still the same type of things that happen afterward and fear and being concerned. And, and it, it is a life changing event because there are so many people out there who, like you, have this happen. And then how did your life change? You know, it, it was definitely a learning curve. You know, there's definitely the months of trying to find the right edu- uh, medication that go on for a while, uh, learning to deal with it, learning to be out in front of it, not letting it define who I am. Uh, I learned at an early age, and, and I really learned that from my support, uh, my family, 
my extended family, and really my doctors as well. Uh, so it really uh, gave me a good base to, to kind of build from. And I'm really so very happy uh, when you talk about my journey as a whole that still goes on today, that, that I had that really good foundation and support that uh, put me on my journey. I think that's probably one of the biggest impacts is hearing it from someone who, again, had such a career in such a sport and then continues on in order to get the word out. And now you're doing that. And now maybe you can tell us about what is the Steps Toward Zero movement. You know, Steps Toward Zero is a movement that was launched by SK Life Science. And it's meant to educate, inspire, and activate the epilepsy community. Um, you know, not everybody can achieve uh, zero seizures, but we can all reach for them. It's, it's the optimal treatment goal. Um, you can learn more about it and get involved by uh, going to stepstowardszero.com. And it's really about letting people know that not to settle for where they are, that, you know, medical advances do happen. Changes in your body happen. And just to always be engaged in, in the community and with your doctors. Again, when we're looking at it from your perspective, and I guess, you know, now you said you have your daughter who is also diagnosed with epilepsy. So here you are, you're you're both coming from different aspects and here she is growing up. Has that, especially when you're talking about children, that can be a very, very scary and stressful time for them. How has she been handling this? You know, she's a trooper, and I've just always tried to instill in her the lessons that I learned. So maybe she's a step ahead of where I was. It doesn't mean it's been any easier for her. But, um, you know, I think I always try to strive to, to tell her that, you know, it's, it's just a part of who we are. It's not who you are. You know, you're still Annabelle who is involved in, you know, A, B, C, and D and does this and that with your friends. Uh, we just have uh, a few more things to take care of. And, you know, one, one of the things that I've always loved to do is, is to uh, get in front of kids and tell, tell kids some of my story, um, especially when I was, uh, you know, the big football player. I'm not quite as big as I was anymore. But, uh, you know, to, to tell a kid that you, you walk, to your, uh, walk to high school in your pajamas one time because you had a seizure, uh, I think really relates. And that's not the only story I have, but, uh, you know, that, that just really relates to let them know that they're not alone and that it's not this big, bad thing that you can't talk about. Um, you know, here's this man up here telling a, a class of 40 or whoever, or whatever it may be, uh, that he walked to school in his pajamas. And it's, it's, it's not that, it's not that bad. And it's, it's not everything that Hollywood makes it out to be. And that's part of taking the stigma away is that it's, it's not as bad. You know, we're, we're one in 26, uh, people, uh, have epilepsy. And so we're all around you. We, 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 we are, uh, we are near and far and all around you and everybody around knows. So it's, uh, it's out there and, you know, you just try to destigmatize it. And how do you think people who are hearing, you know, someone says, well, I have epilepsy in a conversation and now all of a sudden you're right. There's a stigma that what happens if you have a seizure and you're standing next to me? What do I do? How do you handle those kind of comments? You know, I, I, I've always tried to handle that with the, the aspect of, I kind of put it back on them. Like, I'm good. I think if you feel confident and can express yourself that, like, you're, you yourself are good, it calms other people around you. And that's that's going back to my daughter, what I've, I've tried to instill in her, because I learned that at, at a young age, that if you kind of flip the script a little bit, uh, people are a little bit less nervous or, or wondering. 
Um, you know, you definitely answer questions if you have questions. And, you know, that's another thing I've always talked to my daughter about is, you know, your friends need to know, your, your teachers need to know, the people in your life need to know in case you happen to have one in front of them. They need to know how to address it and handle it and get in touch with, you know, us as their parents and the medical. Well, I have to say, just talking from you, Alan, I, quite an inspiration. You really are because you're you look at it from a very practical point of view and a way that people don't feel that there is a stigma. You're right. It's just who you are, part of who you are. And so one more time, if you can, just let our listeners know about the Steps Toward Zero movement, how they can find out more about it. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, everybody can go to StepsTowardsZero.com, educate, inspire, and activate the community. You know, we're trying to, we're trying to share what's out there, getting people involved. There's helpful resources. Uh, to talk to your doctors with. There is conversations on there that it can be had with other people with epilepsy. And we're really just trying to get, bring the community together to revisit their goals and see what their zero is so that they can find out what they can do to better their life and not to accept where they are. Uh, to look at your life, long, long-term treatment plan and your life goals and, and see, see where you can be. Um, you know, as well, on top of going to stepstowardszero.com, if you go to your social media and hashtag steps towards zero, SK Life Science is going to donate $1 to the Epilepsy Foundation. So go out there and share where your steps towards zero are for you. And uh, they'll donate $1 to the Epilepsy Foundation. And I just want to mention very quickly so our listeners know that you're still involved in football. I am. I am. I am a head coach at a high school uh, here in uh, Virginia. Thanks again to Alan Fanica for sharing his story of living with epilepsy and also introducing us to the Steps Toward Zero initiative. You can find out more by visiting the website livingwellwithepilepsy.com. Now don't go away. Haven't gotten your flu shot yet? We're going to tell you why you should in just a moment on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, many people have shot fatigue, especially after going through COVID. But now it's time to get your flu vaccine. And Lindsay Clark, SVP of Education and Advocacy with the Alliance for Aging Research, is going to tell us why they're getting the word out about getting a vaccine for the flu, especially for older adults. We're going to talk about flu shots, Lindsay, and People talk about these all the time. So why have they suddenly become so important? Well, they've always been important, but lately we are falling behind on our routine vaccinations. And we know that people aren't going out to get their flu shots when they should. Um, We also know that even though we've had relatively mild cold and flu seasons the past few years, because we were taking precautions to stay safe from COVID-19, Now that we're back to pre-pandemic routines, experts are predicting a hard cold and flu season. So we really need to go out and get our flu flu vaccine, get our COVID boosters, and get any other vaccines that we're due for. And I think one of the things that a lot of people have as a concern is we've heard in the past that, and I know you're going to roll your eyes if I could see you sitting in front of me, if I get a flu (laughs) shot, I'm going to get the flu. Yeah, I've heard that too. It can't give you the flu because it's not a live virus. Some people do have a little tenderness in the arm or they might feel a little lousy after their flu shot because their immune system is fighting back. But the flu shot cannot give you the flu. It's also possible 
that coincidentally, they got sick with something else at the same time. But again, it can't get you sick. And the other thing, too, is a lot of people say, well, I could be allergic to the flu shot because of what they put in it. Well, some people do have um, allergies to some of the ingredients to vaccines, and they should talk to their healthcare professional if that's true, because there are alternatives. Um, but it's not a reason not to get vaccinated. It's just a reason to have a conversation with our healthcare professional. And we've become very aware, especially during the whole COVID-19 situation with people saying immune compromised people and young children and older adults. So can you give us a little bit of an overview of why that is in those particular, especially the older adults, why that is so important? Yeah, and and that's true for a lot of infectious diseases, right? If your immune system isn't working as well as it could, you're going to be at increased risk. So we do know that with age, our immune systems do decline. So we're at higher risk of complications from infectious diseases. We also, there's things like pneumonia and shingles that we don't see as much in midlife um, that become uh, more of an issue as we age. So we need to get vaccinated to protect ourselves. Um, Also, chronic diseases become more common as we age. So things like heart disease and diabetes and lung disease um, can make getting sick with the flu or COVID or pneumonia or whatever um, even more serious. So there's a lot of reasons older adults need to be getting vaccinated. Lindsay, when we were kids, everybody said, well, you're going to grow out of this or you're going to become more immune to that. So it seems a little bit different now when you're talking about older Americans, because you would think if they're Mm -hmm. older, that that should follow through to them. No? Yeah, it seems that way. And certainly we do see like my kids just brought something home and both got sick and my husband and I were fine, right? So likely we had already been exposed and had some immunity. Um, But as we age, our immune systems decline and we just don't have those um, same defenses as we do um, in our 20s, 30s, 40s. And then again, when we're talking about the idea of the flu shot and the importance, going back to the whole COVID situation, so many people are saying, well, I had that shot and I had this shot. and Now I just got this shot. So maybe I don't need to worry about that because all of these other ones should be taking care of those. Yeah. Well, we're certainly getting some vaccine fatigue, right? I get it. But, um, Getting a COVID vaccine won't protect you against the flu. They're different viruses. Um, And having gotten a flu vaccine last year um, isn't enough this year. We know that the flu vaccine, um, its effectiveness wanes over the year. Um, And also each year, a new flu vaccine comes out to best protect against those variants of the flu virus that are circulating. So it's really important. Um, to go get whatever vaccine you're due for. Just because you got one doesn't mean you shouldn't get the other. The other thing that maybe we should touch on too, because it is becoming so prevalent, uh, in this case, we're hearing more about it for children. But again, it's not going to be long, I don't think, before other areas of the population are hearing more about RSV for them as well. Can you bring that into the discussion and and how that all fits in? Yeah, so RSV, which stands for respiratory syncytial virus, is a respiratory illness. Um, And in people in their 20s and 30s or 40s even, um, if they get it, even uh, 
kids who are a little older, it often looks like the cold. So we don't necessarily know that they have it unless we go and get tested for it. Um, but the littlest kids, as well as our older adults, who don't have the same immune systems um, are high risk of RSV complications. Um, we typically hear about it in little kids. Right now, it's filling the news, right? Because um, unfortunately, we're seeing that most of our um, hospitals, are their pediatric hospital beds are filling up with RSV cases. Um, so it's very serious for little kids, but it's also serious for older adults. We talked about that declining immune system and those chronic diseases that put us at higher risk. Um, we know that RSV kills at least 14,000 adults in the U.S. every year. So there's no vaccine right now. So I know I'm here to talk about vaccines, but there are some on the way. And in the meantime, we can really protect ourselves from RSV by doing the same things we would for other illnesses, right? Isolate if you're sick, mask, wash your hands, make sure you're not exposing yourself to people who are at really high risk for complications. So again, if there is no vaccine yet for RSV, it's more important then that getting the other vaccine, especially the flu vaccine for the elderly, becomes paramount. Yes. And I should mention, too, that people over age 65 should ask for an enhanced flu vaccine. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, recommend one of those enhanced flu vaccines, and they're designed to give our immune systems that are declining with age a little extra boost. They better protect us. So make sure you're asking for that. And when you go to your physician or if you go to one of the other areas uh, that they're also, that the vaccines are also available, some of the pharmacies, they would be able to say, oh, yes, we know about that. Or would you have to bring any extra information? Because that's something that I haven't heard about. Well, we, they've been available for a while, but they are just recently recommended by the CDC for um, those over 65, an official recommendation. So when you go to the pharmacy or you go to your clinician, they should have them and recommend them. But because it's a slightly new recommendation, make sure you ask for it. It's always great to be your own advocate. All right, Lindsay, you've given us great information and hopefully dispelled some of the things that might stop people from saying, I better go get my flu shot this year. So if they would like to get more information, where can our listeners find it? Yeah, they can go to our website at the Alliance for Aging Research. Um, go to agingresearch.org slash shot. We have a ton of resources on vaccination. Um, and now is the time, right? We're about to get together for the holidays, uh, make sure you go and get up to date on all the vaccines you need. If you're looking for something jazzy to wrap up your Thanksgiving holiday, Swingin' Jazz Nutcracker Suite Concert and Toy Drive at the Ritz Theater. Sunday evening, November 27th, starting at 6 p.m. Bring a toy. It's a holiday event to benefit the Children's Advocacy Center of Northeast PA. You can find out more by visiting ritzpack.com. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 